Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow, or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's a lot of and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. A-okay. Little known fact about my guest today. I got paid for many, many, many months to be madly in love with him when I was cast in the Broadway production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I was Lucy. He was Schroeder. I could not have asked for a more incredible co-star, someone who was so giving and generous with a beautiful, beautiful soul and the most glorious smile. And whenever I got scared, I would just look into his eyes and I knew everything was going to be okay. No one could ask for a more generous scene partner than Stanley Wayne Mathis. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Stanley Wayne Mathis. Stanley's Broadway credits include OK, Jelly's Last Jam, The Lion King, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, Kiss Me Kate, Wonderful Town, The Book of Mormon, Nice Work If You Can Get It. He has toured all over the country and performed at some of the greatest regional theaters. His numerous TV appearances include roles on Law and & Order and Rise. He is a teacher and a mentor and an activist. He is a gorgeous dancer. He is one of the people I've been most excited to have on this podcast from the day I started it. Welcome, Stanley Wayne Mathis, to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, most people know, but for the one or two who don't, Stanley and I met originally because we were cast together in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. I played Lucy, and he played Schroeder, um, and that really remains one of... Uh, the most memorable experiences of my professional career. And when I hear the name Stanley Wayne Mathis or get to see you in anything, I feel like I'm seeing my boyfriend. (laughs) 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 Tell me, um, we're going to talk about so many things and, and I really... uh, I could talk about, you know, a Charlie Brown reunion with you at great length. But the one thing that I want to know is sort of where you grew up, how and where you grew up. Um, The how part is how did dance and singing and musical theater become a part of your consciousness? 
Well, I grew up in Washington, D.C., um, in one of the two worst housing projects in the city, Kenilworth Courts. And uh, so there, there was a lot of trouble to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always tell people that the arts basically saved my life. And mm-hmm. I'm convinced that I would be either dead or in jail had that not uh, had it not crossed my path. So um, I started in, uh, well, I mean, I started doing school plays as, as young as elementary school, but um, I really found out that I had an interest in it by junior high and high school. And so I started uh, school at high school at McKinley Tech. And it was a school, it was an art school. You either could get in as an art student or as a vocal performer. And I actually got in as an art student. Uh, my art teacher helped me put together an art portfolio. And that's how I got into that school. So I had to bust myself across the city to get to that school because I didn't want to go to the high school that all of my uh, siblings, I had six siblings, uh, had gone to before me. And uh, Spingon was the name of the high school, was so notorious. I just did not want to go to that school. So that's kind of how I got involved. Um, before that, I joined a, a a drama club in junior high school called Blood to Soul. This was the 60s. So there were all these, uh, you know, there were companies called Blood to Soul and What's Up and all that kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> and so... I was uh, in that drama club. I was also in the glee club and I was also in the arts club. Uh, I was in every club you could think of in that school except sports because I couldn't play sports worth a, worth a dang. Uh, was not very coordinated. Um, so I joined all of these clubs to keep from going, going home right after school. Mm-hmm. Home was... Uh, not a very happy environment. So <laughs> I just right. kept myself busy with any activity, any school activity that I could. And so I, I say that the arts pretty much saved me. Where were you? Like, what's the birth order? You said you're one of six. Where yeah, do you fall? Seven children and I was the last one. Okay. Yeah. So one of seven. Yes. And you were the baby. I was the baby. What now it's so ironic to me, or maybe not. I mean, you're blessed with so many artistic talents. It doesn't surprise me that uh, visual arts was something you could do as well. But when did you become aware? Because anyone who just heard, you know, the, the 10 or 12 Broadway credits that I read off at the beginning, you know, your voice is incredible. Not to mention, it's funny to me that you weren't athletic because you're one of the most incredible dancers I've ever seen. So the idea that you weren't coordinated in that way, but can do the things you do with your body um, on the Broadway stage, it's just so interesting what yeah, you found you could do. Weird left left brain, right brain kind of thing. It's, yeah. I was fine as long as it had to do with my feet, but my hand-eye coordination really sucked. Mm, okay. <laughs> All right. But now when did you uh when did you start singing? Like just for pleasure, forgetting even it becoming a career. Like when did you fall in love with singing and realize well, what you could do? I grew up in the in the typical Baptist Southern Baptist church environment. Yeah. So you know you you sang in church, 
Um, I was. Would you solo? Would they pluck you I, out? And- yeah, you, they would grab you. You know, you didn't. It's not <laughs> like you had to volunteer. They would snatch you and make you do it. Pretty much. Um, it was one of those storefront churches that my minister was starting. It was really funny because he's got this big old green leaf type church now. Oh, um, really? Uh, but it was a storefront. It used to be a high's ice cream store that used to get robbed all the time and they turned it into a storefront church. And so, you know, he was trying to put together a church. And so um, it had mostly elder, elder people. And so he was trying to get some young people in there. And so as soon as he grabbed the young people in there, you know, you, you got to give them something to do, give them a task. Right. Oh, you know, start a, start the junior choir, you know. And so I was in the junior choir. And so I'm singing in the junior choir. But if that wasn't enough, he made me the director of the choir. Well, what do I know about directing the choir? Nothing. But there I was directing the junior choir and doing solos. So it kind of, you know, people, it's not that I, you know, signed up for things. People just sort of grabbed me and, and pulled me in. But did you get attention for it? Did you get positive attention for it? Yeah, you get exactly. There was positive reinforcement for it. I always tell people when they say, how did you get into theater? I said, you know, it was like I was running from the police. Mm -hmm. Literally? Literally. The police was chasing me and I ducked into this building. And when I ducked into this building, I was on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you looked out and, and I you saw out, people there and I saw people there and I just you know performed <laughs> and they my, liked it yeah my option was either go back out there where the police were waiting for me or perform Stanley what when you look back on your childhood what is the worst trouble you did get into mm. Worst trouble that I got into, or something that I—you mean that I caused of my own, or well, maybe like a crime that you <laughs> that you were <laughs> part of. Well, I mean, I don't have a record of anything. I didn't commit any right. crimes. I was a really good kid, a good student. Um, I I remember when when the guys that I was hanging with decided that they were going to go and 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 do stick up jobs and rob the stores, and that's when I decided. Uh, we're going to part ways. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go over to this little community center and, 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 uh, take this dance and be in the play or something. Cause that's, I'm truly not, I'm not the stick up kind of guy. And did they let you go without a fight? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a, a formal, I mean, I wasn't a member of the Bloods or the Crips or anything, you know, right. a, 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 you know, you, you know, your, your little group of boys who hung out and did whatever we did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I have been chased by the police. I remember one time going to the aquatic gardens. It was Mother's Day. I didn't have any flowers. I knew the aquatic garden had flowers, mm-hmm. and I didn't know the. I didn't even know the implications of it. I just knew that the aquatic garden, aquatic garden had flowers, and I was going to go there and get some flowers for my mom. So I go there and pluck flowers, and all of a sudden the police is pulling up, chasing us, right through the neighborhood, and. Because I knew the turf of the neighborhood so bad, so so well, they couldn't very well drive up into the sidewalk and chase us into the apartment buildings and stuff. They tried, but they couldn't. Right, right. <laughs> and as we said, your feet work really well. I was fat. You know, the one thing I could have been good at when it came to uh, phys ed was if I was a runner. If I was on the track team, I was fierce. 
because I was used to running from the police. <laughs> right, right. That was your training. It's all I could think of. If if the police was after me, I'd leave you in the dust. Well. But I dropped the baton because my hand-eye coordination was so bad. <laughs> Exactly. I am so glad. I am so glad the theater has found you and you have yeah. found it. It's a much better story. My God, yeah. for all of us, we get to reap the rewards of your beautiful talent. So it sounds like there were teachers in your life who, who you know, when you describe the teacher who helped you work on the portfolio to get mm-hmm. into the high school, yeah. um, how did you... Uh, sort of understand what to do next after high school and kind of the lay of the land if this was something well did you even know you wanted to keep doing this professionally I have to to take my hat off and do a nod to teachers I absolutely love yeah um because if it weren't for me if it weren't for them I I wouldn't be where I am Mm -hmm. um I well by the time I mean I I was involved in a semi-professional theater company even in junior high school. And then I joined uh, even more, I took a little step up uh, to a semi-professional company called Ebony Impromptu Theater Company that was you know, kind of known around town. Uh, and I was doing that even while I was um, majoring in graphic arts in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was taking class at Careers for the Arts, which is now Duke Ellington School for the Arts. And this is all in the D.C. area. It was all in the D.C. area. Okay. So I would take my art classes and then I'd get out uh, half day and I'd go to to the career of the arts and I'd take all my dance classes and then I'd leave there and I'd go down, downtown to Lynn Welter's uh, ballet class school and I'd take my ballet and tap classes there. And then uh, I would, by six o'clock, I would uh, start rehearsals with the theater company and we rehearsed from six to 10. And I did this six days a week for like three years. And are you starting like to feel, do you have a community of friends that are doing this too? Or are you a part of a group that? Yeah. Well, that, 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 that theater company, Ebony Impromptu Theater Company became my, my family, my community, my everything. You know, I mean, there was no dating outside of it. You know, we all, of course, eventually started dating within the company, which right. is not a very good idea, but whatever choice did you it have? It happens. Yeah. What, what could, you know, you're spending all your time together. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so when did you, by the way, did you get paid for any of these semi-professional sort no, of jobs? I mean, you know, there were times when we would do like what, the first one, when I was in junior high school, we did get paid because they had this, they had these grants called the CEDA program, which nobody's ever even heard of these days. But back in the 70s, there were the CEDA programs that would fund the arts. And mm-hmm. so my English teacher put the grip, put together this theater company called Blood to Soul, and we got paid for that summer to, to you know, put on shows and, and write shows and perform. Right. Um, the other show, uh, the other company, Ebony Impromptu Theater Company, we only got paid when we did performances and we only performed maybe, it was like a, you know, those those dance repertory com- companies that rehearse all year and then do maybe two, three shows a year and they would get paid for those shows. Right. <laughs> and, 
And did you sort of already at this time think I am going to do this? I mean, there's so much amazing theater in the Washington area. I mean, there's so many, you know, there was the arena and the Folger and, and on and on. Were you seeing stuff growing up not, on school trips? Not a lot. Of, well, I did have a few teachers like that did make sure we got out and saw some stuff things you know the circus and you know right first baseball and football game a teacher took me to and um we did go to arena stage arena stage had a company called living stage i don't know if you've ever heard of them yeah um, and it's a company that's very 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 much uh community based you know they 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 really do work with the community and go out into the community uh, and bring in, bring the, the community in. So they they go into schools. They bring the, the the classrooms and the kids into the theater, and and that sort of thing. So there's a lot right. of outreach there. Right. And so I'm used to doing that kind of work, that kind of outreach, community theater kind of work. And so that's where a lot of my improv improvisational skills came came from training. Mm-hmm. Came. Um, I made in high school, I remember uh, coming to a crossroad of Stanley, are you going to paint and draw or are you going to perform? And I I decided that I was going to uh, give all my attention to performing arts. It was weird because I felt like when I would paint and, and draw, it was weird because somebody would come and they would buy the painting and I would have no more connection to that painting anymore. Hmm. It was just gone. Right. But I felt like when you perform, you could go out on stage, you would you could give yourself to the audience, but you'd still take yourself home afterwards. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> that's such a great that's way to a look weird at. analogy, but that was the thing. That that's what it feels like. That was that's the thing that made me choose performing arts over over uh, graphic arts and fine arts. So how did you get to New York and find yourself on Broadway? Well, I had started college, Washington International College, which doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> um, and Literally? I'm, like, is there anything in its like place? It doesn't exist. It's, it, okay. it, it's in the ethos. I don't know where it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> I was still in the theater company, so I was getting credit for being in the theater company. So, you know, that you know, you get those kind of like life experience credit. Mm-hmm. Thing. Um, and... Um, so after I left the theater company, I did three years in college. I didn't finish college, but then I left Ebony Impromptu Theater Company and I was kind of floundering around with what to do. And I, I had gotten my equity card. Uh, after I had left, I had gotten my equity card doing a, a believe it or not, a nightclub act. On Thomas Circle in some in some hotel in the basement of some hotel, and that's how I got my equity card. Um, and then how I, did that hotel cabaret space? It was just an equity space. I don't know how it happened. All I know is that I was able to get my card through doing huh. the cabaret act. It was perfect. Yeah. Okay. After, you know, after being in you know two theater com- semi professional theater companies. And, <laughs> and that's and where you got it. And then all of a sudden I was qualified. So I got okay. card that way. And I did Summer Stark after that. And that was the first time I'd ever worked outside 
out of town, outside of D.C. in my entire life. First time I'd been outside of TV, D.C. in my entire life. Wow. And, and how old were you? Train and went to Warsaw, Indiana to do Wagon Wheel Playhouse. Wow. Wait, so how old are you now? About? Three. I had to have been about 21. And you get on a train to this very other place. And I go to Warsaw. I kept telling people I was going to do summer stock in Warsaw. And they thought I was saying Poland. I kept had to say no. Warsaw, Indiana. <laughs> Although for you, it might as well have been. But right? it may as well have been so foreign. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I went to do summer stock. And it was really kind of extraordinary because you rehearsed during the day. Uh, that first, the, the, when we got there, we rehearsed for the first show. And at night, we were the ushers of the show that was currently up. And then once the, our show went up, we rehearsed for the second show in mm. for the day while we was doing the show at night. Right. So it was very rigorous. We're getting paid like $108 uh, a week. Uh, I stayed in a room over top of Arthur Treacher's Fish and Chips. So, you know, that's all I was eating. Mm, that tartar sauce, so good. <laughs> and uh, just just poor, just broke, but just happy. Yeah. I was in the arts and doing what I love to do, you know. Yes. How did you like Indiana? It was very strange. Yeah. Warsaw was even so very odd and very mm-hmm. strange. Huh. We stayed. There was a, There was a group of people... I don't know if they were Mennonites or what they were, mm. um, but they were very to themselves. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I obviously lived, stayed in a rooming house near, in where they were. And you, they would, it was weird. Like you'd see the curtains part. You see people, you know, they would never make themselves known. They would like the curtains would part, you know. They but would, they're watching you. And they were watching you, but they would never speak to you or anything like that. Wow. And one of my scariest moments, I would say one of my scariest kind of KKK moments, I was coming oh home after opening of, of one of our shows and a bunch of drunken white boys in a pickup truck who were like Yahoo and like they were from Alabama or something was Yahoo and drinking and they was obviously drunk and they, they pulled up and they said, hey boy, you want to you wanna ride? And I freaked i froze and i just told them a lie and i pointed i said uh thanks a lot but i'm i live right here i'm right here at home but thanks a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> it's terrifying pulled up and i was absolutely terrified it was pitch black i was mm-hmm. by myself i was not i wasn't with any of the other cast members and i you know i had to think fast <laughs> and you did so yeah indiana was strange it was yeah. as long as I was, you know, amongst the theater company. Yeah. But that's a long way from Broadway. It's a long way from Broadway. And so I get back to New York. You've done your little summer stock thing. So now what are you going to do, Stanley? Uh, I think I did a production at, uh, uh, oh, oh, God, what was the name of that? The, what was the name of that? Theater? Black Alley Theater, it was called. And I did a production called... Um, Tortures of Mothers, and it was based on a, a true story about these boys. It it was interesting because it was kind of like, uh, 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 um, 
the Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. But it was in the seventies. Was what, this a real case that it was, it was based a on? Real case where they had uh-huh. rounded up these these bunch of these boys who were innocent and was accusing them of a murder and what their mothers had to go through through the whole oh, thing. Okay. And so that was that. And after I did that, um, it was a little clickish. The company's a little clickish, so I it wasn't I couldn't get into a uh, 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 black repertory theater, DC black repertory theater, because uh, I guess they were kind of like in competition with you know with uh, our theater company. Hmm. Um, it was just weird. I didn't like mm-hmm. politics, as you know. I don't. I'm, you know me. I don't like. I, I don't like all that. No, so you do not. I said, well, Stanley, it's time for you to decide to go to New York. You got this equity card. If you gonna get some work, and you are gonna use this card, you got to go to New York. So I was working at the Waldorf Historia, and I. But where do you go live? Like, do you Waldorf. know anybody? I was with my mom, so I was working at the Marriott. I'm sorry. So I got a job at the Marriott. I'm going to save money. Um, Wait, the Marriott in D.C. or in New York? In in D.C. Okay, so you go back first to D.C. and you're with your mom. Okay. Before I moved to New York. So got this, it, got I've it. Done, okay. I've done the summer stock. I've done the other little play. Yep. And now I'm, I'm, I got to, I got to, you know, I get, I have to move back in with my mom, which I'm not happy about. Um, and are any of your siblings still at home then? Uh. One sibling was still at home. Okay. Older brother. Um, And so I moved back in with my mom to save some money uh, so I could move to New York. Um, I had like two, I had like still going to, going to, I had like two, how do you say, minimum wage jobs, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, um, And still with the two minimum wage jobs, I still wasn't really saving any money. Right. Um, and so a friend of mine who was doing Your Arms Too Short to Box with God, he was a set designer, and they were coming into the Ford's Theater. And Llewellyn said, Stanley, I'm coming into to D.C. Uh, with Arms Too Short. Do you want to come see it? I, and I said, of course. So I went to see it, and we went out to eat, and I told him, you know, what I was trying to do. And that I was. he says, look, dude, just come to New York. I have a big loft apartment in Brooklyn. You can stay with me as long as you want, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, you know what? Okay, I'm coming. Yeah, if I don't have a job in a week, I'm coming back home. Because what had happened was, I I had to backtrack. I was working at the Marriott. I was trying to get a transfer from the Marriott in D.C. to the Marriott in Times Square. You know the one that opened right there on 46th Street? Yeah. I was supposed to get this transfer. Well, it didn't happen. So my plans to move into New York with a job fell through. So I'm, I, I remember coming up to New York. I remember going to Connecticut, to the Marriott in Connecticut, and doing an interview, thinking maybe I could commute to New York. That didn't work out. Um, and uh, talking to my mom, and I was in tears about it. My mom was like, well, you know, you know how moms are. You can always come back home. And I'm just thinking, that's just not an option. Right. And so when, when Llewellyn told me about, you know, coming to stay with him, that's what I did. So that weekend, after I saw Arms Too Short to Box with God, I uh, 
packed all my stuff <laughs> in the car. My ex-girlfriend packed all her stuff, and they drove me to New York, and I moved in with Llewellyn in Brooklyn. And um, that was over the weekend. That was like Saturday. That Monday, I went looking for jobs. Um, I went to the Waldorf Astoria. The guy interviewed me. He says, you're an actor. I said, yes. He says, well, what would you like to do? I said, well, you can put me in the kitchen. He says, well, you're an actor. Wouldn't you prefer to work with the people? I said, absolutely not. <laughs> he said, why? I said, because if somebody said something wrong to me, they would probably be wearing a plate of spaghetti. I exactly. would have put me in the kitchen. So he looked at me. He says, so if you get a job, would you leave this job? If you get a job acting, would you leave this job? I said, yeah, I would. And he said, well, when can you start? Mm. <laughs> so um, I was first, I'm just, I, I'm not very good at lying to people. Right. So, you know, I just told the man the truth and let the, let it, let the, the, the chips fall where they may. And he respected that. And he respected that and he hired me. So I stayed with the Waldorf Astoria for about four months. And uh, that's when I got my first professional job working at NYU uh, with the creative arts team. They're called CATS. Um, and it's, 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 you know, it's, uh, once again, it's like a community-based kind of situation where you perform for schools and you go in and you uh, perform for the kids and you do workshops with the kids and you do a show for them, you do a follow-up thing. So I did that with them for about, mm, about two, three years. Um, and then I did Periwinkle, which was another children's theater company that did more touring, not only around the city, but they toured the country. So there were like nine actors with a set in a van. <laughs> oh my God. And when you tell me this, are, was it fun? Is it fun when you think back on this time or were you miserable? No, I mean, you know, it was, it was fun doing what I wanted to do. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, I got to certain points. So I was like, okay, Stanley, are you, you are making a decision. Did you, are you going to be a, a children's theater performer? Which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But are, is that what you're going to do? Right. Or you have plans to go further. And so I had to make that decision because I could have done children's theater. I could still be doing children's theater now, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and, or I could have done that in D.C., I didn't have mm -hmm. to DC, you know what I mean? So, you know, what did you come to New York to do? You know, it's what I had to keep in mind. So I had to branch out, you know, where you get your pictures and your resumes and you try to get an agent and all that kind of stuff. And I eventually started doing regional theater. I did uh, one good, uh, uh, good, good, good speed opera house, I'm sure you've heard of. Mm -hmm. Theater in Connecticut, in East Haddam, Connecticut, was one of the first regional theaters that I performed in. And uh, and are you going to open calls or through backstage? I was going or? All the open calls until yeah. I got an agent, and then they would start to send me out. I was doing everybody's workshop. I was a workshop king. Mm -hmm. I was doing everybody's workshop, and. I did this workshop of the show called OK, which was which ended up being my first Broadway show. So, so that's how it started that's how as it a workshop. Started. Yeah. 
That's how it Who was the started. director? His name was Dan Serretta. Dan, Dan was the director and the choreographer. Mm-hmm. And when he, when I did the workshop, I think we did a reading of it first. And, you know, and so, they, you know, they brought you up at good speed and you did this little reading and they kept you in the housing for a couple of days and it was nice. And then you'd gone about the business. And so, you know, almost like a year later, yeah. he calls me up and he says to me, are you still taking tap class? I had stopped taking tap class because I couldn't afford all the classes. I was trying to pay for voice class, acting class and tap class, and I couldn't afford all three. So, had you tapped as a kid? Um, I in DC I took tap classes at, okay. at Lynn Welter's ballet school. Uh Yvonne Edwards was my tap teacher, my first tap teacher. And I was, you know, I mean I was better at that than I was ballet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Um so well, we're gonna get to Jelly's last jam in a minute. So yeah, at so, some yeah, point so, it came together. Yeah. He basically said, Are you you are you tap? I said, Man, I haven't tap danced in a year. Well, get get your tap shoes together because I want you to, you know, come in and do this workshop. So we went up to Goodspeed and we staged it and and everything, and and then we took it on the road to uh, Birmingham, Michigan. I didn't know Birmingham. I didn't know Michigan had a Birmingham, but anyhow, so we or did- Indiana had a Warsaw. Yeah, <laughs> you go to all the places. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yes, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. thanks for pointing that out because that's interesting. Um, Well, we did that and then we came back home. And then all of a sudden, um, David Merrick wanted the show. He had not seen the show. He just wanted the show, sight Mm -hmm. unseen, um, because he was going to do a black version of 42nd Street, but that fell through. So he saw this as his version of the black 42nd street and okay is an all black cast correct it was done as an all black cast you know, originally it was an all white cast and but it, your production and it was, was set in long island our production was set in harlem with an all black cast and was that tell me about that experience of being in an all black cast um well <laughs> it was interesting not to be the only fly in the buttermilk for a change Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the fly in the buttermilk is an expression that uh, black performers use when they say they're the only black cast member in the show. Got it. <laughs> so, Got it. Fly in the buttermilk. Um, so, uh, so that was it. Was that was interesting? Not to be the only fly in the buttermilk. It's not the first time it's happened to me, but I think it was the first time it's kind of happened since I've been in New York. And, right. Um, so I almost didn't get in that show because David Merrick uh, wanted to recast that whole show, even though he had not even seen us do the show. Oh, my God. And um, so he wanted to give Greg Burge, you know, Greg Burge, the dancer. He was. I um, don't know him, but I know Greg that Burge name. Was, he was amazing. He was the scarecrow and the whiz in the movie. Right. He was in uh, um, uh, 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 what's the dance show? Um, Chorus Line. That is the dance show. Yes, remember Chorus Line. Remember <laughs> the movie that that the the, the 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 black guy that does "Give Me the Ball, Give Me the Ball." Yes, that's, that's him. Bird. A phenomenal. Oh, he's yep. a, um, amazing. Yeah. Um, so 
he wanted, you know, he, you know, David Merrick had, loved Greg Burge and he had in his mind he wanted to make him a star, so forth and so on, whatever. So he wanted to give him my role, which wasn't even the star role, but it was a principal role. Right. Um, so I had to come in and rehearse. I had to come in and audition for the role that I had been doing on the road Ugh. for like three months. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and I had to come in four times to audition for it. And is the director saying to you, Stanley, I'm so sorry. I'm so I know sorry. this is I'm bananas. Apologizing, bloody, bloody, bloody. After right. the fourth audition, David Merrick was just sitting there like he could care less. The last time I went in, the fourth time, he was peeling an orange and sucking on an orange. And oh. I, I remember when I went in there, I sang Feet's Too Big. I think I, I, I sang till my lungs collapsed. I was just out of spite. I was so angry. And I told my agent, okay, I'm not going back in. That's it. That's I'm it. Done. I'm yeah. done. Yeah. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> so what long story short, what happened is is they hired me and and wrote a part for Greg in the show. So we both got to be in the show. Which wow. was glorious because I got to work with him. After all that. All uh, all of that. <laughs> oh my God. And then we get to Broadway, we open. I get great reviews, but his ex-wife or something was suing him. David Merritt was apparently producing the show out of his own pocket, which producers don't do right. these days, right? you know, by himself. Um, and so the show closed down. Very quickly. Closed. It opened in November and closed January. Oh, my God. So even though the reviews were good, he just couldn't afford to keep he, it going because his wife was suing him. All of his assets. Mm-hmm. She shut wow. it down. And he was going to try to reopen it. But meanwhile, oddly enough, here's the thing. Uh, Gregory Hines came to see the show. And he came backstage and he spoke to me and Kevin Ramsey, who was another hoofer, hoofer also, who yeah. was in uh, Black and Blue. Um, and he came backstage and was very nice and chatted with us and everything. And I didn't know why he was coming to see the show. I, I had no idea. Next thing you know, I get this audition to uh, this audition for Jelly's Last Jam. This mm-hmm. one. So I go in and I audition for it. It's for a workshop at the Mark Taper in L.A. I booked it. I think we closed January 4th, uh, okay, and January 6th, I think I was in L.A. doing the workshop. That's incredible. With George C. Wolf. With George C. Wolf. And um, others. Greg didn't join it then. Oba Babatunde played the role, because I think Greg had some other obligation that he had to fulfill. So we did the workshop. Out so at, you don't know yet that it's a. It, it, do you know it's meant to go to Broadway when you I do it out in LA? I don't. You know, I've at that point I've done so many workshops and things that were trying to get to Broadway. Right. You know, I, you know, I always had a wait and see attitude. About yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very grounded. And so I didn't. After we did finish Mark Taper, you know, I'm back in New York with nothing to do. So what George did. So that I think, you know, I think directors do this so that they can keep their ass so that nobody else gets their actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gave me a job doing spunk. Okay. 
at the Royal Court Theatre in London. It was the first time I'd ever worked in London, in the UK. Wow, wow. So I did that in the UK, and then I came back, and we did Spunk at Mark Taper again. Wow. By the time we finished Spunk at Mark Taper, and I got back to New York in, in about a month or so, they were doing the workshop in New York of Jelly's Last Jam, and Gregory was ready and available mm. for the workshop of Jelly's Last Jam, and this was the workshop that was going to go to Broadway. And so are you over second, the moon? That's how the second Broadway show happened. I was still cautious. Yeah. Um, my family are, are not theater people, so Broadway doesn't really register to them. It doesn't really mean anything to them. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if I was in a fried chicken commercial or something, you know, I would be a celebrity <laughs> in that town. <laughs> well, can but, we make know, that happen? My, my community weren't, they weren't, you know, eh. You know, I mean, right. my, my but, sister and my mom would go see my school plays and stuff. My brothers, eh, no, no. They didn't get it. Yeah. They didn't get it. Like, I, but don't, you, I don't think any of my brothers has ever seen me on Broadway. I don't think any right. of them. None of them. Right. And I have I have uh, 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 five brothers. Mm. And none of them have ever seen me on Broadway. So, have you Have you asked them to come? Yeah, I mean, I get the invitation just like my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, and she mom, takes you, know, you up on it. You know, you know, Stanley's on Broadway with Gregory Hines. You know, right. don't y'all want to come? Kind of big deal, kind of thing. And you know, the, eh, theater's right. So, okay. um, and so they were proud from afar. And right. so my sister and my mom came to the opening. My sister, my mom, and my sister-in-law. Well, she was my ex-sister-in-law. She was my well, not my ex sister in law. She's always my sister in law, but she's right. my, my oldest brother's ex. Right. And she came. And but so what did it mean? Okay, so I get like it's a different language that you speak mm-hmm. from from your brothers, but did it mean something to you? To be on Broadway? Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I'd been in New York for, look, I'd been in New York for eight years before I got my first Broadway show. Right. And I kind of thought that I was convinced when the first one closed down, I, I didn't imagine that another one would even happen. Right. So right. I was always surprised when the next show happened. Right. Um, And, and, and never... Really, you know, you know, I'm just the. I'm, I guess I'm just kind of. This business is the only thing I'm super superstitious about. Right. Not the rest of your life. Not the rest of my life. Yeah. So I wouldn't tell them things. I wouldn't tell my family things until they were already in motion. Mm-hmm. You know, I literally told my sister and my mother that the show was on Broadway when we were like our third week of previews mm-hmm. when it was really I real myself well it looked like it's going to happen so let me tell them <laughs> did you um because you worked with gregory hines more than once um did you enjoy working with him i loved working with him yeah it was one of the highlights of my careers i really loved working with him it, it's it was quite amazing actually um he's and a very generous artist and a very generous person. Mm-hmm. It's just so generous uh, on and off stage. 
And I, I really appreciated that about him. Now, when I told Kristen Chenoweth that finally I had the great Stanley Wayne Mathis coming on, um, A, she misses you and sends you all her love. But the first thing that we immediately talk about is the beautiful baked goods that Stanley Wayne Mathis brings to a theater when he's working. He does not partake in the eating of them with you, but he drops them off and they are delicious. So when did that tradition, A, when did you become an incredible baker? And when did that tradition of bringing the gift of your baked goods to a cast and creative team become a part of how you operate in the world? Well, first of all, I don't eat the the goods because I had allergies. I'm allergic to gluten. I'm allergic to dairy. Those all those kind of wonderful things that are in baked goods. Right. Um, But I had the attitude, uh, Daggone it, if I can't eat it, somebody will. (laughs) And you still loved baking. And I still love baking. It started when I told you about taking when we did okay up at good speed. Yeah. And um, I had a principal role, but I wasn't always on call. There was a lot of times I had some downtime. Mm -hmm. And so me and another guy who also had a, 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 a principal role but wasn't a main character, we had a lot of downtime. And we shared a house. Well, he was like this amazing chef. Hmm. Mark Smoltz was his name. Amazing, or is his name? He's still with us, I hope. Yeah. Smoltz, uh, amazing chef. And I started baking just to pass the time. And I felt, however, I have an affinity for what they call the chorus. Uh, or, or, or or the ensemble members you know, or the chorus. Right. I love the dancers. I love mm. I love them. I think they work harder than anybody. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, when you're you're in tech and you're working these ten out of twelves, you know, and it's just hours upon hours of work, 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 long hours, and people get tired and they get cranky and it's you know they get evil, but you know sugar seemed to make people happy. <laughs> yes, you know, uh, yep. homemade baked good seem to make people happy. That's the Libra side of me because you know the uh, you know I'm a, I'm a Sagittarius, but I have a a, a, a Cancer Moon and a, a and um, a Libra. Um, what do they call that? Rising, a, rising, a Libra. Yeah. I want a home. I like a harmonious environment. Yep. And I definitely like a harmonious environment at work. Yep. I don't like a whole lot of chaos and craziness. Yep. I remember that. And part of that, too, is because I grew up in a house full of chaos, too. Yeah. You add that with with the Libra rising, you know. And there's some delicious brownies coming your way. if If I could do anything within my power. It was the one thing I could do. I can't, you know, I can't tell people what to do. I'm not the director. I'm not the stage manager. I can't, you know, but I could come in and put a cake on the table and walk away and people would be just as happy as they could be. With yeah. Cake. Yeah. It and was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I got it. All right. Well, that was, you know, I asked people to send in questions and that came from Kristen Chenoweth. When yeah. did the baking begin? Um, the Lion King. Uh, was was next on your uh, Broadway hit list. 
And you are in the original production of The Lion King. Mm-hmm. And Julie Taymor directed that show. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got to see it, really like the first few minutes of that show, I think remains like when people say, you know, the expression, my hair like stood up on the back of my neck, like that literally, that's the only time in my life that literally happened to me where something was so astonishingly beautiful, surprising, and took my breath away Mm -hmm. when all of those animals sort of come down the aisles at the very top of that show and the actors and, and all of the like colors and the, it's like extraordinary. Um, but I also know that putting something together like that is is almost an impossible task. Yeah. But you were a part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that opening had grown and grown people cried. Yeah. <laughs> in that opening. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, once it's again, I got in on the workshop. Here are three shows back to back where I got in on the ground level and originated the role. Incredible. And on Broadway. Yeah. Three shows. With cast recordings that live forever. I mean, The Lion King, you know, there's no one on the planet. Like <laughs> Madonna, The Lion King. Like these are just things that like, it doesn't matter where you live on the globe. You probably know of yeah, The Lion King. Yeah. So once again, you go in, you audition. I auditioned for Julie Taymor. She looks at my resume and she saw that I had danced with the Charles Moore's African Dancers and Drummers. This, uh, I even forgot about that. There's so much, there's so many things I'd, I'd done in New York before I even got to Broadway, but I used right. to with Charles Moore's African Dancers and Drummers. And she saw that on the resume. And I think that was something that pulled her attention. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I auditioned, I sang, and I got the gig. I got the, you know, the workshop and I did the workshop. And we did a week's workshop and, you know, the Disney suits and heads would come and watch us. And she had this markup uh, hyena suit that I was in and we were trying to work out what worked best. How would things work? And I would say, OK, this doesn't work or I, I, I need this to happen. I need that to happen. Or can we pad this or can we do that or can we? You mm-hmm. know? So um, it was just in on the ground level of that. And how much of the movement and the storytelling, the stuff that your character did, was that improvised? Was everything choreographed within an inch of its life? Like, what was that experience like? She had to improvise. We had to improvise, um, and we improvised a lot, um, especially the hyenas and their scenes. Uh, We did have a choreographed dance that ended up getting cut because it just didn't work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... We improvised a lot of stuff. Um, I, because I'd done children's theater, this is where I always tell people as an actor, I don't care what you learn, that skill, the skills never go to waste. So even though you may have gone to college as a med student, even though you wanted to be an actor and you decide you finally wanted to be an actor and, you know, that, that, all that med stuff, don't be surprised if you end up being on a TV series playing a doctor. Yeah. yeah. So I had nothing goes to waste. I had done puppet work and mask work. It wasn't a big through mm-hmm. a lot of actors working with her because mm-hmm. a lot of actors were not used to working with puppetry and mask. What's a 
rehearsal process? What are the memories you have? Like if you could kind of give us the greatest hits of what it's like to be in a Julie Taymor production. Well, in one sense, it was, I had to tell people it was, it was like Christmas every day because she wouldn't bring in all the animal parts at once. Mm-hmm. You know, one day it was the hyena, another day it was uh, the elephant, another day it was the giraffe, you know. It was, you know, it was like Christmas. <laughs> right, uh, right. It was just kind of extraordinary. We were at the, um, eight. What, what, what was that studio? 890? 890 Broadway? Yeah, 890 Studios. Yeah. And, you know, usually you go in there and you, you, you rent a, a studio. Disney rented like two floors mm-hmm. and one floor had like the mock-ups and the remnants and, 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 the, and the miniatures of the set and everything just in one room, you know, and then the other room, I mean, it was kind of extraordinary. It was, mm-hmm. you it was the, Lion King city, right? Yeah, like there's was, just. It was going to be a big deal. And I told my, my agent that I said, look, um, understand this. Disney, I say it's a good thing that the good Lord is not a jealous God because if he was, Disney would be in trouble because Disney has more money than God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and think- at the time, like we didn't even understand what, I mean, this is the beginning of, of Disney, Disney's Broadway. Like right. this is all new. And so you're on the ground floor learning what this machine looks like right. for I the very first time. Disney, they had done Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Um, so this, I think Lion King was the second biggest. Okay. And so, but I knew the combination. I thought to myself, okay, here's the combination. Julie Tamor. So you have a female director. We don't have a lot of that on Broadway. So mm-hmm. that's a big deal as far as I right. was concerned. That's cool. Yeah. The choreographer was a black choreographer, Garth Fagan. Yeah. From the modern dance world. Another big deal on Broadway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. So, and then you got a huge machine behind it called Disney. I had no doubt it was going to be successful. It exceeded my expectations, but I had no doubt mm-hmm. it would be successful. Was it? Was it? Um, was it hard yeah. or joyous? Or both? It was both. It was hard. Um, we did an out-of-town tryout uh, in uh, the Orpheus Theater in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever been there. Um, and I tell you that procession that you were talking about that, that mm-hmm. had everybody in awe, it took an entire week to tech just walking from the back of the house to that stage. Right. In those costumes. Right. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So the level I mean, of irritability, irritability yeah. and, 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 exhaustion. and exhaustion and just del- being delirious. You know, yeah. You know. And when and when everyone is at that kind of like a, a fever pitch of exhaustion, creativity and and newness of a thing, like creating mm-hmm. this thing, mm-hmm. um is Julie Taymor a calming force or does she get intensely 
you know, uh, I think agitated. She, I, I, I think Judy Taymor is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, however, and I said this to her actually at an opening night party. She was, she had knocked back a couple of cocktails and she was feeling sentimental and she was in mm-hmm. tears. She says, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think the cast likes me. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, well, Julie, as artist, and I'm, you know, I'm, 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 they're big, I'm taking big breaths in between because I'm editing myself. You know, yeah. okay, Stanley, be kind, be compassionate. Yeah. As artist, we all have our challenges. Your challenge as a director is that you must learn how to talk to your actors because an actor will jump off a cliff for you if you make them feel safe. Mm-hmm. But if they don't feel safe, you're in a heap of trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great advice. And that was my advice to her. Right. I'm sure she did not remember it <laughs> the next day. But you got to say it. But I said, that's what I said. That was the conversation. That's that's the realest conversation me and her ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, because she's a little awkward when it gets to talking to human beings. Mm-hmm. And my feeling was, you know, this thing, you spend a little too much time with puppets and masks. You're going to have to learn to talk to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. You know? And did you do that show for years? No. Okay. No a lot of people did, right? Yes. I told my agent when it came time, when he brought me the contract, I said to him, let's get one thing straight. I will do this show a year and a half, two years tops. Mm-hmm. And then I'm out of there. And he says, oh, but this show is going to run forever. I says, absolutely. It's going to run forever. I said, it's the McDonald's of Broadway. Yeah, and I don't want to eat that I many said it Big Macs. Forever. I said, yeah. but this show is Toba. I said, Bernard, do you know what Toba is? And he said, No, what is Toba? <laughs> do you know what Toba means? You're gonna tell me. Toba is the theater organization for black artists that was organized back in the 30s and 40s for black artists who was doing mm-hmm. the chitlin circuit because that was okay. all that was available to us. Right, okay? right. Uh, so we formed our own organization. It was like our own equity, I guess. Right. Um, but we nicked, because it was the chitlin circuit and it was, you know, bus and truck and all of that, it was rough. Um, it, w- it was called Toba, Tough on Black Asses. That, but that was really the acronym. Yes. <laughs> so I said, Bernard, Bernard, I said, I'm not staying longer than a year and a half. Two years. I said that show is Toba, and right. he had no ideas what. So I had to break that down to him, just like I, you did for me. Thank yeah. you. And so I said to him, I want to walk away from that show. I don't want to be carried out on a stretcher. Yeah. I said it's a gorgeous show. But it's a it's a it's rough on the performance. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. show, but it's rough on the performance. And you have to know when to leave. Uh, you can't stay when you get injured because if you get injured, not only do you have to leave that show, but then you can it, it can it can end your career. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I remember you talking to me 
later on, I think this was after Charlie Brown, maybe after Kiss Me Kate, you're mm-hmm. like, I have to get bunion surgery. Like yeah. you had, you were like, my feet are literally they hurt killing so- me. Yeah I, yeah. yeah, I couldn't even lay in bed with, I couldn't put the sheet over my feet. It was so painful. <laughs> it was so painful. And what so, about your knees? My knees were fine. It was them feet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, then the next show was Charlie Brown, which was such a walk in the park comparatively, right? Like in terms of what was asked of you. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. So I go from, I I go from the Lion King. It was so funny because when I auditioned for, because I have a thing that when I did get my first Broadway show, what I did is once the show opened, I continued to audition. Mm-hmm. Like I would tell my agent, if the show opened on Thursday, have an audition for me on Monday. Interesting. So you never took it as like, oh, I can relax. No, I never sat back and relaxed. I right. always auditioned for the next show. Yeah. And so when The Lion King was running, I was auditioning. And so when they asked me to audition for Charlie Brown, I went in there. I did not think I would get the role. I thought to myself, you're 40 years old. Nobody's going to hire you to play a child, mm-hmm. but okay. <laughs> yeah. But all I right. Go. Yeah. So just go in, give your best, you know, give, you know, the best you can do. Because I also know that when you go in to auditions, it's not just about the show. You're representing yourself and whether you're right for it or not, you give a, a fierce audition. <laughs> sure. Exactly. <laughs> you are. For Jay Bender. Yeah. Yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So go in and I went in and I did what I had to do. I put on a pair of overalls and I had on a little baseball cap and I thought, surely no one's going to hire me to do this, but okay. Yeah. (laughs) One of the things that I had developed too going in is I I developed taking, when I teach my students, I tell them, you must learn to not give away your personal power when you go into the room. So tell me what you mean by that. What does that mean? You know, all that being afraid and frantic and terrorized and scared to death is giving away your personal power. It is your audition. It's not the person's audition before you or the person after you. This is your moment. This is your time. They want you to be the right person. Mm -hmm. So seize it. Take that Mm -hmm. time. You've prepared your material. You've practiced. You've done all the stuff that you've done to come to do. Trust that. Walk into the room, take a breath, do what you need to do. They're there. They're, they want you to be the person. So don't waste that moment being terrified and crazy right. and neurotic and sabotage your own audition. Do you remember during Charlie Brown the, the process of getting that part when you were like, oh, my God, I'm really I, I'm going to get this. I remember going in. I remember auditioning. They were all very nice behind the table. And I walked away going, oh, well, at least that was a good audition. Mm-hmm. They're <laughs> nice people. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. I just walked away just thinking, okay, that was a good audition, Stanley. Yeah. Yeah. And so when my agent talked about you got an offer, I was like, what? For what? <laughs> <laughs> From those nice people. You got an offer for Schroeder and you're a good man. I was like, Really? <laughs> Do you remember what you auditioned with, or is it too far ago I to remember? My pants too big. 
That's what you sang? Yeah, I, you know, and I, that became my, my signature audition song. I had all these books of music and all of these songs that I auditioned with. But every yeah. time I would do Feats Too Big, I would get hired. Yeah. Now, it is, it's not, it doesn't have any vocal gymnastics. It's, it's, it doesn't have any great range to it. How does that song start? Up in Harlem at a table for two. Where there's the four of us, baby, me, your big feats, and you. From your ankles up, girl, you sure are sweet. But from there down, baby, you're just too much feet. Where are your feet's too big? And that's how it starts. And that's why Beethoven Day was written for you. And um, I remember one time I went in to audition for a show, and I thought, I'm going to, they got to be sick of hearing me sing this song. I'm going to sing something else. So I went in and I sang something else. I got a call back, and the casting director said, uh, tell Stanley to come back and tell him to, to bring Feats to Big. <laughs> like you said, if it ain't broke, Don't that's think- incredible. Yeah. Well, I really feel like when you described yourself as um, someone who sort of likes whatever the opposite of chaos is yeah. in a room, in a company, you really, I mean, we were a very small company. Um which was unusual for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you were in huge musicals. Right. Huge musicals. Um, and this was such a, like, small, merry band, very character-driven. We were able in so many ways to sort of create. I remember at the beginning, we went through all those books of Schultz strips and could kind of sit around the table and kind of pull out things that we wanted our characters to say. Mm-hmm. Um or that we could use. Um, but I, you know, you then, I remember the day they brought in this new song that wasn't in the original because we were a revival. Yeah. Um, and they, I remember when Lippa brought in Beethoven Day for you and it was um, that and the day my new philosophy came into the show yeah. um, were so huge. And I know it was, I have to admit Charlie Brown was very difficult for me, uh, which sounds weird because, you know, it's Charlie Brown. It's a good man, Charlie Brown. How, how difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't accustomed to being being contributing to the, the script in that way. Mm-hmm. Because I was always in large productions. They gave you the script and you read the script. Yeah. That was pretty much it. Yeah. I wasn't really accustomed to it, really. Um, I didn't consider myself a comedian. I didn't think I was very funny. Mm. Uh, so that was difficult. Right, and um, a lot of pressure. And then I felt Schroeder wasn't funny anyway. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Kind of like the straight man. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like a lot of the stuff that people were digging up in the comic books and stuff was fine, but... He didn't have a lot of funny stuff. A lot of the jokes bounced off of him. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's like he yeah. was a straight man. He was there and Lucy and Snoopy and them, you all, bounce, your jokes bounced off of me. Yeah. You know, so somebody had to be the straight man. Kind and of. Schroeder's a very serious character. He's very serious about his, you know, he's a prodigy and he's just very, you know, Beethoven for God's sake. I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Running around you know, with blankies and stuff. And he's exactly. playing concertos and, you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, you know, yes. I was able to kind of tap into that, 
but it was kind it got a little dangerous you know sometimes actors have to be dangerous have to be careful what they tap into mm-hmm. uh, you know sometimes you can tap into parts of your life that can be kind of scary yeah okay <laughs> and, so I was and was that happening for you as schroeder well yeah because i was trying to tap into what it was like to be you know 6 7 8 years old mhm and it was a very dark, actual dark period for you in real yeah, life. Yeah, for me, it right. was. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't a, silly playground. Yeah, it wasn't hijinks. A playground life. Right, right, and right. So I was having a really rough time emotionally because mm-hmm. I was opening up some old wounds, mm-hmm. and I thought at one point I actually thought at one point I was going to have to see a therapist. I know that sounds oh. crazy. No, it doesn't. I know that sounds utterly nuts. <laughs> right. No, but that's that's what was going on. So all of that was going on underneath me showing up. Wow. I was wow. trying to contribute what I could contribute. I remember I went to Michael and I said, you know, I don't have a blonde. Obviously, I don't have a blonde bouffant or pompadour. What right. I had locks. He loved yeah. the idea. Yep. Um. But the producers obviously didn't. <laughs> yeah, because they know, did so not become part like, of the show. Yeah, every time I felt like I tried to contribute something, they were like, and I and I just thought, you know what? If y'all just want a generic Negro to sit behind that toy piano, I'll sit behind that toy piano and pretend to play it. Whatever. <laughs> but that was very painful. It was all. It was just very painful. Yeah. Um, and I just thought, ah, enough already. Um, I became protective over you guys, but I especially became protective uh, over uh, Kristen. I could see her star was rising. I could see that she was chosen. This is what happens every Broadway season. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a chosen one that, you know, you know, yeah. you know, how, yeah. you know, the politics and you know how it works. So you, I, I knew that it was her time. Um. And I became very protective of her um, because, you know, you know how Christian is. She's, she's such a sweet, sweet girl. Um, yeah. Um, person. Um, yeah. Um, and so we, I, and then when we did New Philosophy together, it was like the only time me and her character, the two characters had anything together. And I think that's when we began to bond even then. Um, and we've kept in touch through the years and stuff. And I've had theater companies come up and stuff. She's always been gracious. I can bring anybody in the back backstage to her to see, mm-hmm. her. you know, she's always been that way. Um, yeah. Genuine in that sense. So, um, yeah, but it was emotionally, it was very rough. Uh, it was a hard time for me. Um, yeah. I remember that. Very odd to say, uh, because people say, are you kidding? I know. It must have been a blast. Yes. No, it wasn't. (laughs) No, it wasn't for you. But I loved being out there with you. And I loved having had, unlike you, zero experience being in a musical, um, which was crazy that that was where my journey brought me. I loved musicals. I loved seeing musicals. I never expected to be in one. And I always felt so carried by you and so um, supported and safe when I did our stuff together. Um, 
What the, yeah, but that and I mean, not only is that not my na- it's it's it not only is that my nature, but it's how I was trained. Yeah. To you to be there for the other actors on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah, look them in the eye and and make eye contact and make sure we're okay. Are we getting ready to take off? Yes, we're getting ready to take off. And so every time we had our scenes and stuff, you know, we made that eye contact and we yep. we did what whatever it was we had to do. I was terrified with uh uh the book song, book report. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we had a lot to do in that song. That song terrify me first of all i don't like heights right and you had to i know you had to be on top of the brick wall on the wall (laughs) i don't like heights i felt like a deer in the headlights i couldn't really see no the lights were kind of blinding me and i always just thought dear god please don't let me fall off this wall and you never did and i dear god please just let the lyrics just be there because it's it, it's all going so fast. I was just terrified. That I know. Terrified me. <laughs> I know. But listen, that is one of the greatest songs from that show. You're so brilliant in it. And the one thing we did have going for us for a little bit is that we did have these notebooks in our hands. And I will just say, little known fact right here, I had every vegetable written down. (laughs) And of course, because it was there, I didn't have to use it. Right. Like I didn't look into the book. I couldn't look in the book. I just had to look out. And I know. Dear God, don't let me fall off. And I was like, why am I the only one on the wall? (laughs) It is funny because every show I did, believe it or not, Alana, they would prop me on top of something. <laughs> I knew it. I on knew it. I was like, am I not tall enough? What is it? <laughs> well, you the first time to challenge me. <laughs> I just have to say, it's so funny because I remember us talking, you know, we went on the road with that show even before we came into New York. We had a lot of time together. And um, in destroyed Michigan. Yep. <laughs> destroyed Michigan. <laughs> anyway, I loved you in that show. I know, I know what it was for you, which is why it was all the more glorious what you put out there and all the more generous. And then I got to see you in Kiss Me Kate, steal that on, show on, a, on the top of a 15 foot ladder. <laughs> Exactly, that you had to like jump up and jump down. Jump off that ladder. (laughs) (laughs) But you were amazing. And then you were with my sweet friends, Jen Westfeld and and Donna Murphy in Wonderful Town. And Um, then the Book of Mormon. I keep saying Norman. Well, it was a wonderful town and then a nice work if you can get it. And then. Oh, and then Norman. Right. And then then we, um, we have come to this incredible pause. You know, <laughs> we have come to an incredible pause. Where were you in March when, when the world, certainly our world as performers shut down? Where, where were you? As Cinderella would say, in my own little corner, in my own little chair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right That's here. That's where it found you. <laughs> and you've been there. You live, at, you live in um, near Times Square? Midtown Manhattan in the theater district right off of 
right on 10th Avenue between 46th and 47th Street. The it's glory quiet. of being on Broadway, when people say, what did you like the most? I would always tell them is that by the time most people were out of their makeup and costume, I was home. <laughs> I know. Incredible. So what's it like to live in Times Square since March of 2020? I rarely go to Times Square anyway. Right. Because I didn't, it, it was just too congested and too crazy. Let um, me rephrase. To be in Midtown Manhattan, you know, for people who don't live there, they hear like it's a ghost town and sort of how different it is. Yeah, it's picking back up again. It's not, a, you know, it was pretty scary for a minute, but it's picking back up again. To me, it was like a long holiday weekend. It empties out on the holiday weekends and all of a sudden Midtown seems really like, almost like a ghost town. Yeah. You know, everybody's gone out of town for the holidays, except it was it was extended. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, so that's what it kind of felt like. Um, I, you know, I'm not, you know, I, you know, I like going to the gym and I do love going to restaurants and I do love going to the movies and plays. So those are the things that I missed. Right. Um. But um, I had been working on, when I got back, I did the Book of Mormon and, uh, for a couple of months on Broadway, and then I went to do the tour, and I was on tour for three years. And then after the tour, I came back, I started writing. And so I started writing all these poems, and then I started developing them into a play. And Wait, from a poem to a play? Yes. So I, okay. written, I had written over 200 poems. Oh, my goodness. And so I started to group some of them together and organize them and, and, and come up with a theme. And I've written a play. And so this quarantine has given me the time to really work on it. Um, and I'm doing like a virtual presentation of it. I'll send you the link when it's done. But Is this um, a one-man show? No, it's not a one-man show. It, okay. It, it, 12 cast members. I am working on my own one-man show. Okay. <laughs> Is that about your life? Well, one's called The Landlord Chronicles. It's about my experiences with landlords in New York City. <laughs> oh, my God. That, wow. Yeah. And the other one-man show is called Truth Be Told. And it's it, the purpose of it, I opened a book by saying I had to wait for a lot of people to die before writing this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And is that... Um, is that family? Is it people in this it talks industry? About my, my life, my family. It talks about uh, uh, my childhood, my child abuse, sexual abuse, all of that. Wow. All wow. Of, all of that. <laughs> oh, Stanley. Well, anything you put out into the world, I cannot wait to have the privilege of seeing and hearing and man, your heart is so big and, and there's so much there's so much about your life that is, um, it's just such an extraordinary story. And, and through it all, you remain one of the most positive, warm, caring, uniquely gifted, extraordinarily talented person. And, uh, you know, I told my parents who just fell in love with you when we did that show. And um, I love I will. The first thing they both said is no one has a more beautiful smile than Stanley Wayne Mathis. Yeah. It's just, and I was like, that's true. 
No one does. Thanks. They just remember you with so much love um, and gratitude. Before oh, I let you well, go. But you, but you since have, you know, you became a mom and all this other mm. stuff was going on. I was like, wait, when did this happen? I know. So, all right. Before I let you go, is there a little known fact you can share about Stanley Wayne Mathis? A little known fact. That's right. Do you know why my podcast is called Little Known Facts? Why? Do you remember a song from Charlie Brown called (laughs) Little Known Facts? (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you don't, you can listen to it when we're done. (laughs) Not if you mentioned it. I was like, oh, that's why that sounds familiar. (laughs) Exactly. It was going to be called My New Philosophy or Little Known Facts. And I decided I, mean, I would take well, I this one. I've given away my little known fact, and that was that I'm terrified of heights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you do when you fly? Oh, uh, close my eyes and try to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, do you take anything? No. Mm-hmm. Flying is not the same thing to me, oddly enough. You know, Interesting. I close, I close the window. It's not the same thing to me as standing on top of tall things. Mm-hmm. Ladders and, and, and shelves and it's different for some And reason. brick walls for a book yeah. report. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, or the, or the, or the boneyard in, in The King and I. I was right. That 15 they did it tall. again. And I was at the top of the steps while the other two hyenas were on the floor. I was like, why do I have to be up here? Excuse me, Miss Tamor. Sorry, Miss Tamor. Can I real quick? One of them. <laughs> no. And then her scar voice. No. <laughs> you may not. So, yeah, um, that, that, I would say little known voice, because kids ask me this all the time. Yeah. You still get nervous. I have terrible stage fright. Hmm. Terrible. <laughs> there you have it. So, what do you do? How do you walk from backstage to on stage? How do you make your body go over that threshold? Well, that's the good thing about training. Yeah. Uh, because you know you learn all these tricks and trades and all of these things to distract yourself or or to get yourself to to get out of yourself out of your out of your fear and out of your way and into yeah. character. Yeah. <laughs> And go on this. So you do the work, and you make yourself. You you make yourself do it. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. You know, I learned that uh, courage is not the absence of fear; it's uh, going on in spite of it. Mm. Has anyone had to physically ever push you from the wings (laughs) onto the stage? (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. Oh, not yet. Yeah, you get yourself there. Not to the point where it's debilitating. I you right. know, heard that Barbara Streisand had that problem for a couple of years, where she's mm-hmm. not, she couldn't perform, she couldn't go out in front of people. Yeah. So, well, how's that? You're Barbara Streisand. And right. then after a while, I realized, I thought, oh, I get it. It Interesting. just out of nowhere. It's not something you planned. No, the brain is so powerful. Yeah, yeah. It just takes over. All right. Well, Stanley Wayne Mathis. I can only say all three names. I can't just say Stanley. Um, I've missed you. And this has been a remarkable catch up. Thank you so much for doing this. And and I'm glad we had this catch up. I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's It's been a long time. Your voice. I mean, you know, I sort of 
we sort of keep up with each other on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. No, but this is better. Yeah, yeah. This is much better. Thank you to John Zaytoon, who is the talent coordinator for this episode. The Little Known Facts theme song was written and performed by Georgia Famusa with backup vocals by Caleb Famusa. And episodes are recorded in New York City and edited by Nicholas Clark. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.